All right, folks, what I want you to do is we're going to finish it up today. We're going to finish up 2 Thessalonians. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 through 15. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 15. Now, I think it's interesting we're going to finish up our discussion today about having peace in the coming storm. So as we've been doing this series, we've been examining Paul's letters to a group of believers in Thessalonica who were really going through it and were facing really the fire. Paul had been there. He started the church. He had to leave there because of the persecution that was he and his team were facing. And so they went on from there to start a church in another area, but they left this group of believers behind. And of course, the persecution was real for them. The pressure they were facing in their spiritual lives were real. Not just the outside pressure from a world that is angry at them, but also an inside pressure with people who were wanting to deceive them concerning simple things like the coming of Christ. So Paul has been addressing his letters, first and second Thessalonians to these group of peoples and we've been learning from them about how you and I can have have peace in the coming storm and so now we come to verse 6 through 15 and this is really his final exhortation these are like his final statements that he's making them to them about what they need to do and I think it's interesting Typically, when I look at his letters and I see his final statements, it's usually a list of things that they're supposed to do as far as living for Jesus and living right and so forth. And while that's true in a sense with what we're going to look at here, it actually has to do with who you hang out with. It has to do with who your friends are and the influence that they have on you. Because the reality is, if you're going to stand in the midst of the storm, if you're going to stand and be all that you're supposed to be as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're going to grow in your faith in spite of all the hardships that happen around you, you're going to have to make a decision about who you hang out with. And you can't just say, well, I'll go it alone. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I'll just do it myself. Well, now that's impossible because first of all, you and I have a need for others and that's the first thing we're going to look at here, the need for others. You and I have to be relational. So let me make two points here. Here's the first one. You were not created to live in isolation. You weren't created to live in isolation. Nobody. You know, I tend to be, I'll be honest with you, you might think this is crazy, but I, I have a te I'm an introvert. I kind of like working by myself. I kind of like uh, not hanging out in crowds. We say, we're the pastor. You're always in front of, well, you know, yes, I'm with you guys, but you don't know that after I'm done with you, I collapse. I go home, I sink, I go blurry-eyed, I got to take a nap because you drain me. Extroverts 
get excitement. They feed off the energy of other people. I don't feed, I just give. I, I feel depleted after I'm here with you or with anyone. But here's the interesting thing about me as an introvert. I still have to have contact with people. I still have to have contact with people. I still have to interact with people. So whether you're an in introvert or an extrovert, you have to interact with someone because you were created that way. Think about that. That goes all the way back to Genesis when he created Adam and Eve. And he said, it's not good that man be alone. So he created Eve. Out of his side, he created a woman for companionship. The reality is, is you and I were not created to live in isolation. You can't just do it on your own. When I hear people say, just so you understand, when I hear people say, well, I don't need the church anymore. I can just do it on my own. I already know that they are foolish. They don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they had a bad experience in church. Maybe they had were in a bad church. Okay, I understand that. Then find a good church. Get out of the bad one. Find a good one. Because you need people. People are going to help you grow. Did you understand what I'm saying? You were not created to be an island to yourself. Bottom line, here's the second thing I want you to see about the need for others. Your relationships will impact your walk with the Lord. Who you hang out with is going to impact the believer that you are. I'm just going to be honest with you. Who you hang out with will impact the level of walk that you have with Jesus. Bottom line, that principle is in the scripture. You're going to see it in a minute as we go through verse 6 through 15. The people you hang out with will impact your life spiritually. You cannot separate yourself from that. Throughout the Old and New Testament, if you are with people who don't think like you, who don't believe like you, sooner or later, you are not going to believe. And I think we understand that. We call it what? Peer pressure, right? And it's very real. Why? Because ingrained in us, rightly or wrongly, is a desire that every one of us have here. Here's the desire. We don't want to be different. And we don't want to be seen as different. We want to be accepted. And that's in, in every one of us. That's in me. That's in every one of us. And what will happen is, whether you like it or not, if you hang out with the wrong people, it's going to impact your walk with Jesus. Now, if you hang out with the right people, that's going to impact your walk with Jesus as well, right? So that's what I want you to see here, because here's what needs to happen. So this is what we're going to, in fact, this is what I've entitled our, our message today. Relational discernment. That's what we need here. The final thing that you need to understand if we're talking about standing in the coming storm, having peace in the coming storm, you and I need to have relational discernment. You need to have discernment about your relationships, who you're hanging out with. 
the impact that they are having on you. Are they building you up? Are they tearing you down? Are they encouraging you forward or are they dragging you back? And you need to have this discernment. And so Paul actually is going to talk about it today. Now, it's interesting. In the passage, he's going to talk about people who don't work. So we're not going to focus specifically on that. We're going to look at a greater principle. But let's look at the passage together. It's going to be up on the screen so that we can all see this together. So notice with me. Verse 6. And notice how he begins. So this is not an option. But we command you, brethren... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there is some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. All right, so what we're going to look at today, folks, I'm just going to, we're going to take these verses and just have one section here, and we're going to call it the command. Now, I'm not going to focus specifically on the issue that they were struggling with. In their, in their church, they had folks who were among them who were basically sapping off of the church. They were not working to provide their needs. So basically they were coming to the church and in that day the early churches were very giving. They would take care of anybody who came to them. But they were walking in a disorderly manner and so they were basically not taking care of themselves. And so Paul is addressing that issue here with this section of verses. It's very specific to their needs that if they are... If they're, in, if they're sapping off of you, don't help them because they should be helping themselves. But there's a greater principle here that I want you to see. It has to do with who you hang out with and the impact that it has on you and what you're supposed to do in the midst of it. And so I'm going to point to you six things here. Six things that come out of this command. Okay, here's the first one. You must not associate with a believer who is not living as he should. Now, right off the bat, 
that's going to cause a crisis for us. What do you mean, George? Right off the bat, you're going to be conflicted with what Paul is saying. Because, let's just be honest, in 21st century North America, in Clearfield County, you know and hang out with somebody who says they're Christian, but they're not living right. And so you hear this command, and you're like, ooh. Can we go on to our John study next week, George? Because now it becomes difficult. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is, this is real. This is like speaking to me. This is speaking to you because we know them, right? We, know, we hang out with them. They may even be our family. And he's telling you not to hang out with or associate with a believer who's not living as he should. See, it's interesting. We're, I, I find, all right, so I'm going to reflect upon me, okay? So I'm not going to say this is you. I'm going to reflect on George, okay? I find that I am very selective in who I hang out with. What do you mean, George? Well, if you're somebody I don't know and you're caught up in sin, I ain't hanging out with you. And I'm not going to, I mean, I'm going to say, well, you know what? I don't want to be corrupted. But if you are my friend, who I've known for a long time, and you've gone off on the deep end, I have a selective view of how I'm going to treat you compared to the one I don't know. And so I just overlook what you're doing. I don't address it ever. Because it would make lunch awkward it would make the party we're at uncomfortable I wouldn't be able to enjoy the football game with you but here's the problem I can be selective but yet in my own heart I'm still bothered but I don't say anything See, Paul comes along and says, look, you, you and I have to wake up. And he's just going to flat out say it right at the beginning. You can't associate with somebody who says they are a brother who's not living right. Because you're not helping them out. Because isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to help each other out. You're not helping them out. Here, here's the second thing. The issue of how... To live as a believer is not new to you. When you look at verses 7 to 12, he says to them concerning this issue of people who were sapping off the church and not working and all of that, he says, you know what you need to do there. You know what they're doing is not right. And, and I realized that, yeah, he's saying to us, when we talk about the brother who's not living right, it's not an issue of it's in a gray area. Well, that's a gray area, George. No, 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 you know. 
So if you've got a friend who's running around on their wife and you haven't said anything to them, that's not a gray area. I think everybody would agree with that, right? That's not a gray area. You just, oh, well, you know, that's his, that's his own personal time. He's wrecking havoc in his family. You and I know, Paul's pointing out here, the issue of how to live as a believer is not new to you. It's not something new to you about what they're doing that is wrong. And yes, it does make us uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable just telling you this. Because it's so important to us. See, you and I have to realize, as we've seen through that Old Testament scripture from Proverbs, if you hang out with the wise, you become wise. If you hang out with a fool, you'll be what? Destroyed. What does that mean, George? You'll destroy your life. It will corrupt you. Isn't that what he said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Evil company corrupts good habits. And when you talk about someone who says they're a believer, but they're not doing what they should be doing, well, you say, that's just legalism, George. Listen, legalism is me imposing on you what I think is right and wrong. That's legalism. But the Bible telling you what's right or wrong, that's God's word. There's a difference. Telling you how long your hair can be is a preference. And if I make that a rule, that's legalism. Telling you to do right because God tells you to do right. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. That's his universal laws. And that's not legalism. So then he comes to verse 13, and it's like he knows what's going on with us. Because here's the thing, when we, because as I'm saying this, I have in my mind somebody or somebodies. As I'm saying this, you maybe have somebody in your mind, okay? And I already know how you're feeling, because I'm feeling it. <sighs> I don't know that I can do this. Look at what he says, verse 13. I think it's pretty powerful. Why would he say this? because we need to hear it. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. See, here's the next thing I want you to see. You're not to grow weary in doing what's right. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way sometimes? I know I do, that sometimes what God calls us to we know it's right. We know what we need to do. But I'll be honest with you. 
it's like a burden. For whatever reason, whatever the issue is that we know that we're supposed to do, if it's a burden, we regret it. We, we don't want to do it. We, 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 we're like kicking and screaming. It's like the other day I was in Walmart and, of course, near the toy section and, and it's typical, I want it, you know, and kicking and screaming, you know, and so you walk the other way with your cart, you know. But we're like that. I don't want to do this, Lord. I'm weary. Don't do, be weary, he says. You know what you need to do. You know what's right. It's for you. You know, I, we have a lot of parents here. And uh, some of you have gone past the parent stage into the grandparent stage. I'm not in the grandparent stage yet, okay? But I'm still in the parent stage. And, and I noticed that when, this is just me, when they were younger, it was easier. Because you could just tell them, quit doing that. When they get older, you got to explain why they got to quit doing that. And that just makes me weary. Well, I don't understand why. What is your thinking? Because here's the thing. The bottom line is, is that when we as parents set up our parameters, we have a reason for it. Because we see the bigger picture about something and we want to ensure something with our children in their lives, right? Right? It's the same thing with God. God, when he sets up his parameters for your life, he's not a cosmic killjoy. He just wants to ruin your life, make it miserable or whatever. He, he's setting up parameters for you to thrive in. For your own well-being. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes we get the attitude, I, I think it's because I'm selfish, that's why I have the attitude, I'm not sure why you would, but maybe it's similar, but we, we get the attitude like, well, I can't, you don't realize how hard this is hard to do. Don't grow weary in doing what's right. It's for your good. And it's ultimately for the good of the other person. Because he's going to get to that. You say it's ultimately me quit hanging out with my friend because they're not doing right is ultimately for their good. I don't see that, George. Well, he's going to tell you about it here in a minute. But for you and I, you got to do what's right. Look at the next thing he says. We have just a few more. Number one, you have to note those who are disobedient to God's word. Mark them down in your mind, he's saying. Look with me at verse 14. He says this, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. He 
See, the reason why God doesn't want you to hang out with them is because by you not hanging out with them, they're going to figure out real quick that something's wrong. Which then hopefully will provide the opportunity for you to say to them, you know what, what you're doing is not right. And as long as you're going in that direction, I can't hang out with you. Because it's going to affect me. It already is affecting me. It's affecting my relationship with you. But here's what it's saying. You need to note people who are wrong concerning God's word. And believe me, folks, there's quite a few, even right here in our little community. I'm amazed. Right here in our little community, I have a, my, I have a prayer journal, and one of the things I pray for every day is there are at least four or five different influences. I won't go into what they are right now, but there are four or five different influences in our community that are influencing people who love Jesus away from Jesus. Whether it has to do with their concept of the second coming to whether or not it has to do with whether or not it's okay to just go on and sin. There's four or five of those influences Why do you do that, George? Because the scripture tells me, make the note, mark them down in your mind. Why? For my sake, to be careful. So that I also know how to guide you as your pastor so that you, in your mind, can say, whoa, yeah, he's my friend, but that's off the deep end there. I mean, how many of you have friends who are off the deep end concerning their beliefs in Jesus? We all do, right? I don't, George, because I did what it said. I'm not hanging out with them. Good. But somebody else is. You have to note those who are disobedient to God's word. So here's what it is. Separation from a disobedient brother is for his own good. He says it in this passage. He also says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There he says it a little bit more brutally. He talks about casting that one out and giving him to Satan lest he come to, so that he can come to repentance. That's pretty brutal. I mean, that's what he's saying. Well, he kind of had to be brutal with the Corinthians because they had some major issues. But his whole point is, is that by you making the decision to, to separate from them, you're bringing to the forefront the whole issue of what they're doing that is wrong and bringing them to a point where they have to make a decision. Because if they love Jesus, this is it, folks. If they love Jesus, the same spirit that lives in you that convicts you of your sin is going to be convicting them of the, their sin. So then you, by separating from them, can bring them to a place where they want. Become ashamed of what they're doing and repent. See, that brings us to a final point here. You must approach him as a wayward brother, not an enemy. Look at what it says, verse verse. 15, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So look, when I do that, okay, so let's say we got Bubba right down here. I've got my pretend friend Bubba down here. Bubba's not doing right. 
Bubba is running around on his wife. Bubba is cheating his boss. Bubba says he loves Jesus. He even wears a I love Jesus shirt to work while he's stealing from the company. But Bubba and I enjoy a good cheeseburger together. My tendency would be is I'll, I'll try to reach Bubba and try to be an influence in his life. But I'll be honest with you, all I'm doing is by being with Bubba is giving him just another means of not dealing with the issue because, hey, if George is hanging out with me, really isn't that important. In fact, I might ease his conscience. But if one day I say to Bubba, you know, Bubba, what you're doing to your wife isn't right. You're hurting her. You're hurting your kids. You're hurting your relationship with Jesus. You're hurting me. Because I've been putting up with you acting this way for a long time. And how you're acting at work and turn around wearing it. It would be better if you didn't wear that Jesus shirt. Or talk to Jesus lingo. Or even tell him where you went to church. Because you're just mocking us. And Bubba, I... I'm sorry, I mean, I enjoy a good burger with you, but we can't do it anymore. Now, here's what happens. Two things can happen, and I'll be honest with you, it always happens, and I've seen it happen either way. Two things can happen. Number one, that will get to Bubba, and it cause him to reflect, and maybe he will repent and turn from his sins, but a lot of times, Bubba writes you off. Bubba will just write me off. So then you have to wonder, did Bubba even really know Jesus? Because there's no conviction. He maybe just had religion. See, you can't approach him as an enemy, because that's what I've seen that happen. I, know, I remember years ago, uh, a gentleman that was in, in, our, in our first church, he he, he had that problem. He ran around on his wife. He belonged to another church. And everybody there wagged a finger at him and judged him rather than reaching out to him. And they treated him like an enemy rather than like a brother who did wrong. Let's get this worked out and restore him. They treated him bad. That's not what it's calling you. It says don't treat him like an enemy. You treat him like a brother. Do you, do you understand? So you think about that. Like if your sibling was doing wrong, they're still part of the family, right? And you don't approve of what they're doing, right? But you do what? You talk to them about it. You address it with them. You maybe even have to separate yourself from them, even though you're your family, until they what? Realize, hey, you know what? For the sake of the family, I need to... Deal with this. This is what he's talking about here. Now, all of this, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with everything we've been talking about so far, George, in First Thessalonians? This is like out of the, I mean, this is good, George. I mean, yeah, I need to hear this. I'm, I don't know about practicing it yet, but... 
I, I hear you, but what has this got to do with peace in the coming storm? Because I'm talking about me in the midst of it, an onslaught. Here's the thing, folks. You're only as strong as the people you hang out with. Did you hear me? You're only as strong as the people you hang out with. And that is so true as far as your relationship with Jesus. You are only so strong as the people you hang out with. You know, I think back, I've been a believer now since 1985, so 35 years. When I got saved, God in his graciousness towards me, when I had to move out of my, my, my parents' home, put me in a ministry house right next to the University of South Carolina. And I got to hang out with a group of mature young men who loved Jesus, who taught me how to pray, who taught me how to read my Bible, who taught me what it was to live for Jesus. And for two years, it was like a boot camp of being, I lived in the attic of this dorm, of this building, this old building on Senate Street, right down three blocks away from the Capitol building in South Carolina, in Columbia. And those men poured their lives into me, those young men poured their lives into me to give me a foundation. And it also gave me a foundation in who I needed to hang out with from that point on. Because if I didn't have them, who knows what I would be. Because the lifestyle I got saved in, I was in the party scene. I was, uh, you know, drinking and dabbling in stuff. I had a smoking problem. My language was terrible. It was because God put me in a group of people to help me. And it's so true even now. Can I be honest with you? Today, I get through things because of my friends. Who spur me on. They spur me on. They're my friends. Who do you have spurring you on? And if you don't have someone, ask the Lord to bring you someone. Recognize that you need others who will support your spiritual life. That's my point I want you to see here. If you're going to stand in the midst of it, because let's be honest, I just shared with you before we prayed about 75% of our country is afraid of what's going to happen after the election. Nobody has a clue how people are going to respond. It's like we live in a time where everybody's lost their mind. And so who knows what it's going to be like? We don't know what the economy is going to be like. We don't know what's happening with this pandemic thing that's happening. What may happen around the world as far as our nation with other nations. And, and we've got all of this going on. And you're trying to navigate this. 
and you're trying to live for Christ, you're trying to grow in your relationship, I'm going to tell you right now, just like I said at the very beginning, you were not created to do this in isolation. And so for your Christian life, you need other believers. Ladies, you need other ladies. Men, you need other men. will be there for you to spur you on for love and good works isn't that what Hebrews says Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are prone to do but what stir each other on to love and good works that's the purpose of church purpose of church isn't just to come sing music Purpose of church, can I be honest with you? You know when church happens? It's like I just last week saw a couple guys out in, the, out in the parking lot talking to each other. I know who they are. And I said, hey, what do you think this is, a church? Quit out there being in fellowship. And they just laughed at me because that what they were doing was church. Encouraging each other, listening to each other, being there for each other. So you've got to be wise. Now do you understand why it's a command? And yes, it's weary. Yes, it's difficult. But for your sake, you've got to do it. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. Here's a principle I have found. Typically, I know when God tells me to do something. You want to know how it is, George? How do you know when God's telling you to do something, George? It's usually the one thing I don't want to do. Have you found that to be true in your life? And I've told him many times, I'm bailing. It hasn't worked yet. He doesn't listen to me. And this is one of them. Pick your friends wisely. Let me pray for you.